This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I went to Jungle Gyms for the first time yesterday. Hey, that's the same response I got in the first service. Apparently, you guys know of the Jungle Gyms place. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's awesome. Well, we, we had a couple soccer games down in Cincinnati that the boys were playing. And we were down in that area. And in between the two soccer games, we had about an hour to kill. And my wife says, hey, you know what we should do? I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, she said, we should go to Jungle Gyms. I'm like, what is this place? I had never been. I had never been. She had been with the boys at other times. Uh, I, I had heard echoes from other people of said place called Jungle Gyms, which is a, a jungle of delight for foodies. No. <laughs> wow, this is, going, this is an awesome sermon already. We're all on the same page. We were pulling into the parking lot, and I am amazed at just the, I'm like, oh my, this is, look at this, this is, this is there's giraffes, and there's jungle, and, and this whole theme. I think I'm going to an amusement park for food, which is awesome. And we walk up to the front door and says, hey. I'm like, hmm. The power's out. Yeah. You can still go in. Ah. But it's dark. And some of the stuff, like the coolers and some of the dairy and the meats and the cheeses have all been shut down and put back in the cooler so we can try to save as much as possible. But we can still go in. You can still go in. All right. Now, I've, I've never been there. I don't know what to experience. My wife, she knows to stay right next to me the whole process because you don't want me getting lost in a place like that. And the boys, they're excited. Aiden has literally hopped inside of a shopping cart. Lucas is pushing him up and down the aisles. They're having fun grabbing this and grabbing that. And my wife is showing me all over the place as we move from various foodie places with Ireland and then you go to India and there's Japanese food and all these different kinds of cuisine, the, the jerky of, what did you, what kind did you guys get? Like alligator jerky? Alligator jerky? Okay, very fun, very fun. No. Um. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Someone in the first service had suggested that maybe after that we should have gone to Ikea to complete the whole experience. And I said that would have sent this introvert into a tailspin. And I would have been in a fetal position in the parking lot. That's just a bit too much over the top. To maneuver jungle gyms in the dark, I needed a guide. There's too much there. There's too much to experience. A lot of fun things, but I needed someone to help me get through it all. Because we also had to get back to a soccer game in a timely fashion. When it comes to Christmas and it comes to Advent, maneuvering the dark, we need a guide. There's a lot of fun things at Christmas time at Advent, isn't there? A lot of fun things. A lot of shiny, glittery, tasty things. But that doesn't mean that they're all good things. And sometimes the best things are often hidden down in an alley around a corner where you wouldn't know to look. And so we have set aside a season a church season that we call Advent. 
The church has been participating in Advent. We have documented as early as the 400s in the history of the church. It's not something that you can open to in your Bible and say, oh, thou shalt keep Advent. It's not there. It's not like Passover or Pentecost or Feast of Tabernacles, other Jewish holy days and seasons. But it's something that the church has recognized. You know what we need to do? We need to slow down. We need to once a year re-anchor ourselves in the story. It's too easy to get lost and get distracted. We need to come back to something that's meaningful. Advent, the coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ. It's my prayer for you that this season would be a meaningful season. It would be a shame for you to maneuver all this month with all that is glitter and all that is gold and all that is singing and all the merriment to get through that, to go through Christmas Eve, to gather with us Christmas morning. Christmas is on a Sunday morning this year. That's awesome. You're going to have church, Scrooge? Like, uh, yeah, because it's about Jesus. That's what we do. It's what Christmas means. Church service for Jesus. To get through all of those things, all these wonderful, mighty, weighty things and not experience the meaningful part of it. Christmas trees are wonderful. Decorations are great. Presents, yeah, that's good. But are we doing the meaningful thing? Advent gives us a chance to slow down, to do the meaningful thing. My challenge last week was that, can we make it memorable? Can we let it change us? Transform us, that's what a memory does. A memory is something that changes you. Good memory or bad memory, it changes how you see things, what you do, how you respond. Can you participate in this Advent season in a way that's memorable? I gave us last week some habits, um, Advent cards, habit cards. You can pick up some out there We can, if you'd like one and you don't have one. A way of doing things differently this month. Lighting a candle with family. Looking at scripture before you look at your screen when you wake up. To wait and not look at your phone, but enter into the waiting season. How many of you at least tried some of those habits this last week? I'm not saying you succeeded and you knocked it, but you tried. Thank you for trying. I admonish you. Let's try again. Let's try to create space so that this season is both meaningful and memorable. But as I said, we need a guide to help us get through this time because it's really easy to get pulled to the left and to the right, isn't it? Yeah. We invited a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a pastor and priest for the nation of Israel 2,000 years ago. He was the dad of John the Baptist. He was a man who was doing the best that he could, but he was losing his way until God brought him back onto the path. And at the birth of his son, the Holy Spirit gives him a message and he shares that message with those around. And that passage is a guide for us as we maneuver the Advent season together, as we light the candles, as we seek the things that are both meaningful and need to be remembered. 
And why don't we together, would we stand together? Let's stand, and Ryan's going to walk us through this passage, and we're going to read it together. And, and let's let and invite the Holy Spirit to press it upon us as we encourage one another into what is both meaningful and should be remembered. Let's, let's read together. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Before you sit, let me ask God's blessing upon that passage, that it would be both meaningful and memorable for us this morning. Father God, thank you for this passage that we find in Scripture. Thank you for speaking it through Zechariah. And we ask that you would help us, guide us through this season so many things you want to pull us to the left and to the right. Use this passage this morning, please, wherever we might find ourselves to get closer to home. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week, out of this passage, we talked about hope and we lit the candle of hope. That to those who are walking in darkness, God has shown a great light. There is hope. God had promised to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made an oath, a covenant, that he would gather a people together in a, in a promised land. And those people would be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that was a promise that Zechariah was holding on to. And he reminded us that in the middle of famine, in the middle of lack, God can be present. God is present. This week, as we light another candle, we want to see how God shows love for his people, no matter how far from home they are. How God shows his love for people, no matter how far from home that they are. People who study stories say that stories really fall into one of two camps, one of two arcs. There's the journey 
home story. Many of your favorite movies and books, plays, musicals follow that journey. Someone is trying to journey and get home. The other one, the other arc is a stranger has come to town. Your hometown. For the most part, all good stories fall in one of those two camps. The journey home. Think of the Grinch. And all the many versions that there are out there. In essence, is a journey home. Sure, he might live at Mount Crumpet. But where do we find him at the end of the story? He's at the table, surrounded by all the who's of Whosville, And the Grinch himself is what? Carving the roast beast. A journey home. A stranger has come to town. Think of a Christmas carol. Ebenezer Scrooge, here he is in his mansion alone in the middle of the night. And who floats in but Marley's ghost and says, you will be visited by three spirits. I rather not, he says. And through the intrusion of these three strangers, they might change your life. A journey home, a stranger comes to town. All good stories have something to do with home. We cherish, we long for home. Just last night at our house, we'd all finally got home together. Kids were in various places. We finally all made it home for us. That was like around 9 o'clock, 9.30. It had been decreed or requested by lesser powers that we have Chinese, of which we had Chinese door dashed because why not? And the boys are there, and we're watching one of the Christmas stories, and we're enjoying um, dinner. And my wife looks at me, and she says, this, this is good for my heart. This is good for my heart. What is it was good for my wife's heart? It was home. Home. Do you know home? Do you know what home is? Really, it's something you feel, isn't it? It's peace. It's peace that comes from being with your people, in your place, doing your thing. Home is the peace that comes from being with your people, in your place, doing your thing. Seven years ago, before we had come out here, we might have called home someplace else. But God said to us, I'm going to move your home. And you're going to find peace with a new people in a new place, doing your thing. And here at House on the Rock, we kind of do our thing. A lot of churchy people don't stick around because we do it our way. And that's okay. But here we practice peace. As close to home as we can try to get. Right in the middle of Zechariah's passage is a promise about home. If you were to take the whole passage and fold it onto itself, right in the middle is a description of home. Let me read it for you. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75. We've already read it together, but I want you to see it. Luke 1, 74 to 75. 
See if you can hear the echoes of those elements. Peace from being with our people in our place, doing our thing. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That we, people together, would be delivered from the hands of our enemies, serving without fear, that, that there's a sense of peace there and belonging. In holiness and righteousness, that's a way of saying the goodness of God's intended design. Things are the way God designed them to be before him all of our days. That's home. That's home. Last week, we mentioned various themes that come through this passage. Again, if you weren't with us last week or you just want to check things out, whoishouseontherock.com, you can listen to previous messages. We talked about the themes that play through this passage. One of them is hope in the dark. We saw that last week. Those who are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, sunrise has come, there's hope. In spite of famine, there's hope. We know famine. We know what it means to be lacking, to be missing something. Maybe you know famine this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about Exodus. That's a big theme in the Bible. Exodus, Egypt, slavery, bondage. Maybe this morning, you know what that feels like. You know what it means to be in bondage. You know what it means to be a slave to something, to be chained to something. Not change of your own making. To be at the hand of a taskmaster that you can't get away from. We're going to talk about that next week. As we light the candle of joy. The theme of peace. Peace in the midst of war. This whole thing is driving towards peace. If you get the very end of Zechariah's passage. To guide us in the way of peace. Even though there's war. And there is war. To deny that is to lie about reality. There is war. All of these ways of recognizing that something is wrong. There's an enemy in the room. There's a villain and we're under attack. Another way of saying that in the Bible is the word exile. Exile. We need to understand exile. Why can't I get home? Why can't I know home? Because I live in exile. So if you take out your notes, let's write something down together. Maybe that'll help you remember things. Help some of you stay awake. Give spouses a reason to elbow each other. Just at the very top of your notes, let's, let's, let's unpack something together. To those in exile, let's just write that down. To those in exile. And we'll unpack the idea of exile together. Exile. Exile is being robbed of home because we're captivated by sin. We are robbed of home because we're captivated by sin. Sin's not a popular word. And if we were to go into my office, my study, and you pull down all the big fancy theological books, we could open up dictionaries, encyclopedias, and concordances, and find ourselves a real schmancy, fancy definition for sin that makes us feel real smart. But maybe for our purposes this morning, to say sin, to understand sin, maybe it's just a simple way of saying this, that which destroys home. What is sin? 
Sin is something that destroys home. The various elements, various levels. It can destroy the people. It can destroy the place. It can destroy the purpose. It can destroy the peace. How do you know that sin has been here? There's no peace. You're living in exile. I would never do this. I would never dream of doing this. It wouldn't even be a dream. It would be a nightmare. But let's just say for the sake of illustration, we finish up the service. We drive home to our home in Troy. And we walk in the door and I'm just mad. And I look at my wife and say, you're jerk face. You're a jerk face. I would never do that. She's Italian. You'd never find the body. She knows people. That's a sin. Why, why is that sin? Because it destroys people. It destroys the people. It attacks her. To really, it, also, it also destroys me on the inside too. It destroys the place. It destroys the purpose. It comes against everything that creates home and creates peace. And even in that moment, even though I'm in the house of 1411 Maple Crest, I'm in the house. I am now exiled from home. I'm outside of home because that's what sin does. Sin destroys home. This is a huge idea in scripture. This is a huge theme. If you got your book and you turn from page one to page two to page three, right in the beginning, you are thrust into the reality that we as humans are in exile. You see, Adam and Eve enjoying people and place and purpose in Eden, which is paradise. God says, hey, I made you a great place. An awesome place. It's designed for you where you can have a sense of, of belonging and home, where you have purpose. There's things to do. Tend the garden. Take care of things. Push back, push back chaos. Be together. Home. Home. You can enjoy that and enjoy that. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the trees. Enjoy all, everything. It's all enjoy. It. Don't touch that. Have fun. Enjoy. I love this. Is, this, is, this is home. Don't touch that. That. Dad turns around for a second. What do the kids do? Yeah. It seems we're prone to exile. We are prone to destroy home. It's the capacity that each of us have. Each of us have the capacity, the propensity to destroy home for each other. And because of the one choice to do the one thing that God says, hey, listen, I've given you a home and this is how you thrive in that space. Do this, don't do this. You, if you walk in there and you dwell in that, you will enjoy home. We as human beings feel we can do that without the rules, without God's guidance, without his presence. So instead of pushing God out of home, we exile ourselves from home. This is that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. That's how the book starts. That's the opening illustration. You wanna know what humans do? Humans destroy home for each other, 
Another big illustration example of that. I say illustration like you don't have to take it seriously. Um, Another big example of that in scripture is Israel itself as a nation. God takes Israel out of Exodus, I mean, out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery to give them place, promised land. He gives them place, makes them a people, a purpose to be a blessing to everybody else. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you, Israel. All you got to do, walk in this covenant, walk in these commands. We talked about the big 10. We just got done doing that. Remember that? You guys remember? Please tell me you remember some of the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. You guys remember we talked about some, we talked about all of them. Please tell me you remember some of them. Hey, let's put God number one. Let's hold up who he is as image bearers and see that he's glorified. Let's live in rest. And as we look towards an eternal rest called Sabbath, let's honor the story that we get from our mothers and fathers. Don't kill each other. Don't lie to each other. Don't steal. God's saying these are the things that create home. As I'm moving you into a space where you can have peace and home. Not too long after they get into the land, they start breaking the promises. And what happens? Because you can be in the house, but not at home. Till eventually... God makes good on his promise and they lose the land and they go into exile. Notice I said we are robbed of home. Exile robs us of home. And that's real important because it's ours. It's ours. Eden was Adam and Eve's. It was theirs. The promised land was Israel's. They own it. It was taken from them. Exile robbed them of that. There is home for you. You are not homeless. You're just out of home, away from home. You're not orphaned. You just can't get back to your family. That's exile. And there's a big difference. It has been taken from you. Liam Neeson came out with a movie called Taken. Some of you have seen it. He actually did a few of them. First one was really good. Other two, eh. In essence, it is a father who has a very specific set of skills. Okay? Um, you can tell the people who've seen the movie. And his daughter goes off to Europe to have some fun with friends. And in the process of deception and lying, she is taken and kidnapped and placed into the sex trade. And the father says to his ones who took his daughter, I will find you. And he goes and he finds them and he does things to get her back. Why? Why would he do that? I mean, there's a lot of stress. This is stressful two hours of a movie. Why would a father do that? Because he loves his daughter. He loves his daughter. What would a heavenly father do for a son and a daughter who are taken into exile by sin? What would he do? Well, does he love them? Does he love them? 
If you look at the beginning and the end of our passage in Zechariah, I think God makes his case. In Luke 1, 68, it says this. It's a phrase that got my attention. Maybe it'll get yours. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. His people. And then again at the end in Luke 1, 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. God says, these are his people, my people. These are my people. I am devoted to these people. We spent the whole summer studying love from a biblical perspective. What is biblical love? It's divine devotion. I am devoted to you to do what's best for you, even if it comes at my expense. That's divine devotion. That's love. That's agape. God says, you are my people. I will rescue. I will bring you back. For God so loved the world. Love does two things that I want to show you today and in your notes. Let's unpack a couple of them before we come to the table. Love does two things to those who are in exile. First is love sends prophets to lay the path. Love sends prophets to lay the path. Let's write that one down together. If you're watching online, maybe you can write that one down too. And we'll open up each of those words. Love sends prophets. To lay the path. Let me draw your attention to a couple places in our passage in Luke. In Luke 1, verses 70 to 71. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. See that? The mouth of the holy prophets. Let me show you another place at the end in verse 76 through 77. See if you can't find that word prophet. And you child, meaning John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. What are prophets? Let's just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Prophets are messengers that God uses and sends in our lives to lay the path of sin and to help us know and lay the path of salvation. That's what they do. A, sal- a prophet says, this is the path that leads to sin. That's the path that leads to salvation. They don't lay the path of sin and say, hey, let's walk down this path. That's not what God's prophets do. The majority of your Bible are letters and announcements from prophets saying, don't go that way. So if you were to take the Bible and put it in your lap and you were to open up, and if you were to put the New Testament in one hand and the Old Testament in the other, okay, it would look like this, okay? This is the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. New Testament is pretty small. Old Testament is pretty big. And the majority of the Old Testament are letters from prophets to God's people saying, don't go that way. Go that way. They're the types of letters that we don't enjoy reading. Sometimes we can't even pronounce the names. Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I mean, they're not, and then to get in them, what is it? It's, whoa, this, watch out for this. Don't do this. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. At a national level, at a geopolitical level, at an individual level, don't go down that path. They let us know this is the path that leads to destruction and exile and sin. Don't go that way. 
How many of you have ever had a prophet walk in your life and say, hey, you need to stop? They might not have shown up with like a Moses staff and wearing all goat hair and a belt and a big nice beard, but prophet tattooed on their chest. But someone maybe prompted by God or just prompted out of love and affection for you, walking in your life saying, you need to stop. Please stop. That path doesn't end well. That's going to destroy your marriage. That's going to destroy your kids. Please don't go down that path. How many of you have experienced that? Some of you have. I think more. But no one likes it when a prophet shows up, do they? Jerks. Jerks. Who are you to judge me? How dare you judge me? How dare you call me out? You know why? Because we like our sin and that path is fun. It's a fun path. It's a naughty path. It's a self-feeling. It's fuzzies and ones and goods. Let's do this path. This is a fun path together. Let's do this. And we don't want anyone in their self-righteous, sanctimonious, holier than thou saying, how dare you call me out? No one likes it when a prophet walks in. And then we take that last step. Not that we knew it was the last step. And then we look back over our shoulder and tell ourselves they were right. Why didn't I listen? Love sends prophets to those who are in exile to lay the path of sin, but also the path of salvation. That's repentance. We're not going to go that way. Let's go this way. Let's turn around. This is how we get back to promise. Let's get back to the land of blessing. Let's not destroy our marriage. Let's heal the marriage. Let's not destroy our kids. Let's raise up kids who can be contributing members of the kingdom of God. Let's not destroy ourselves. Let's move into all that God has for us. To give knowledge of the salvation of God. That's an important word, to give knowledge of. It means not head knowledge, it means heart knowledge. Because I can know the path, that doesn't mean I'm walking the path, right? I can know that that's important, that doesn't mean I'm doing it. Knowledge of salvation, he means, that they would press it into them, that it would change them and mold them and shape them, that they would walk actually upon it. God sends prophets God was sending John the baptizer. That's what this whole section in Luke is about. To get people ready for the message of Jesus' arrival. To those in exile, love sends prophets. Maybe love has sent a prophet to you. I hope you didn't kill them. That happens a lot. Second thing that love does. Love sent a redeemer to pay the price. To those who are in exile, love sent a redeemer to pay the price. I'll give you a chance to write that down. I know how mad you get if I keep talking when you're writing. You're still talking. 
love, redeemer, pay the price. In the very beginning, in Luke 1, 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I want us to focus on that word redeemed. Next week, we're going to focus on the word visited. But redeemed, redeem, redeemer, redemption, that's an important theological term if you're going to maneuver the Bible in the Christian faith. It's getting to understand that word in its definition, okay? To redeem something, to purchase something back from captivity, in essence is what it means. Another way of saying it is ransom. To purchase something back that was being held captive by another. To set something free at cost. That's an important distinction. This is going to cost the Redeemer. Sin comes with a cost. Home has been damaged. People have been destroyed. The earth has been laid waste. We continually lay damage to our own selves. And the wages of sin is death. And the price needs to be paid. If we were to jump into one of the more Christmassy sounding passages in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, this is when the angel comes to Joseph. Joseph has just found out that his wife, in essence, wife to be fully, is quite pregnant and showing Mary. And she's like, I did, should I just divorce her? Should I let the town stone her? I mean, which way should we go? And he's decided he's going to divorce her. An angel comes to John and says, hey, 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 Joseph, hey, hey, we need to slow this down, Joe. I need to share some things with you. Listen to what the angel says to Joseph. This is Matthew 1, 20 to 23. But as he considered, Joseph considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. We're going to talk about the son of David part in a few weeks. Do not fear to make Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And she will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hey, Joseph, you're a part of a story. God is sending the Redeemer. The Redeemer will buy the people back from exile, from slavery, from sin and death. Just like the prophets said God would. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The great Advent Christmas theme. It plays behind the countdown as you walk in. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, those who lay in lowly waste and slavery and exile, God will redeem. Emmanuel, God with us. He has come to redeem at great cost to himself. Great cost to himself. In Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In Titus 2, another place in the New Testament, who gave himself for us to redeem us. 
to buy us back out of slavery from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you were to go through that passage in Titus again, you can see all those elements of home, the peace that comes from being with your people in your place, doing your thing. Listen to it again. Who gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous for good works. We're doing our thing. When we look at the manger, we see a God redeeming us, buying us back, entering into the exile to purchase us out of exile to bring us home again. When we look at the cross, we see God paying the price for us to redeem us against sin and death. Why? So that we could be home again. A people, a possession, a purpose. To be home. What is Christmas about? I'll be home for Christmas. How can we nail this down today to help you kind of enter into it, make it meaningful, make it memorable? Let me ask, are you away from home? Are you away from home? You hear the voice of the prophets. You know you've gotten off the path and you've stepped out of the light. You know it. Maybe today would be a good day to come home, to start that journey back. If you open up your notes and take out the connection card, it's a a perforated tear-off place. Let's all do it together. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. It's all fun. It's fun when we do it together. Just tear, 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 tear. Rip, 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 rip. Yeah, see, isn't that fun? Look at that. We all did it together. See, no one feels left out. Oh, everyone's going, no, I'm screwing up my life, tearing off the paper. (laughs) No, we're all screwing up our life. All of us. And the ones who don't think they're screwing up their life are really doing it. Maybe in the place of honesty before God, you are aware of exile. You're aware of your exile. And maybe it would be helpful for you today. Just write down your name and you can write down the word exile on there. Put it in the basket as it goes by in a little bit. A way to get a hold of you. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you, just to pray with you, to be with us. No one should exile alone. We all walk back home together. Maybe that will be helpful. The connection card. Or here's another way that maybe you can drill down on the message today because this is what love does. Maybe you can join our little club of prophets here. A prophet is someone who loves someone enough to tell them the truth. Do I have to get a tattoo and a staff and grow a beard? No, but the beard's cool. No, you just have to love somebody. Love them enough to tell them the truth. You need to stop. Please don't go that way. Please come home. If you keep down that path, I'm afraid of what the consequences might be for you. Can I walk with you, please? That's what a prophet does. 
Maybe there's someone in your life that you love dearly. Well, I don't want to offend them. Well, then you can't be a prophet. That's just what we do. We tick people off. But we do it because we love them. We're compassionate. We, in many of our cases, have been down the path that they have. And we know what lies at the other end. And we would save them from that. Maybe the Spirit is prompting you this week that you can shine a light in someone's life this Christmas. Hey, can we talk? Hey, will you come back, please? Can I walk with you? Maybe you can join the prophets. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, Come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. 